From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett welcoming you to the Holiness Podcast, sponsored by the Florida Division of the Salvation Army. Now, we're recording here in Tampa, and it's January, and it's a balmy 70 degrees outside, and I know some people who are in wintry climates will not think that's a nice thing to mention, but uh, it's a beautiful day. And today, we'll be resuming our series on Romans chapter 12. This will be the second study out of three on this dynamic chapter, which introduces the life of holiness as the privilege of all believers. Now, we usually don't go back to the previous lesson for a summary, but this time we need to do that because of our three-part series. So here's a brief recap of that lesson. We focused on Romans 12, 1 and 2 under the title of Living Sacrifices. You may recall that Romans 12 marks the major transition point in the book of Romans. Actually, that's putting it mildly. Chapters 1 through 11 famously contain Paul's historical and doctrinal teaching about God, Israel, salvation, spirit-filled life, and many other topics. It's a broad and powerful teaching. Then, abruptly, Paul turns his attention to practical Christian living. Actually, let me be more graphic about the change in tone and subject, beginning with chapter 12. It is like the rescue squad, fire trucks, and ambulance all arriving at once on the scene. Red lights flashing, sirens blazing, all hands on deck. For 11 chapters, Paul has laid out human history in broad terms. He has outlined and described the coming of Jesus as the crux of salvation history, which will change the world. And now, he says, in effect, because of all that, This is how you should live every day as followers of Jesus. And then he describes what a dynamic relationship with God, walking with him day by day, moment by moment, looks like. There is no better place in God's word to begin a study of holiness and holy living than this passage. So, we looked at verse 1, which reads, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, because of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. From this verse, we learn that Jesus' death and resurrection, his work of redemption, has changed forever the way Christians worship, the way we discern God's will, and the way we please him. You may remember that we learned that God will no longer accept dead sacrifices. Rather, he will only accept offerings of living, breathing persons who are ready to seek his will supremely. 
That's what living sacrifices means. Then in verse 2, we read, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. From this verse, we learned about the choice of life which Christians face every day. You see, we live in a tension between two worldviews and two ways of living. Being a follower of Jesus is not just a one-time choice that's done over and settled. No, salvation is a life, and we choose every day between outward conformity and inward transformation. The choice we make determines if we are growing in Christ or if we are saved but stuck as spiritual infants. Outward conformity in verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Describes the influence of the world on us. It is the world molding us and seducing us, ultimately undermining our heart commitment to Christ and counterfeiting our life so that it becomes a masquerade. It seems obvious that Paul knew Christians who had made that choice, and it was tragic. I believe the same is true today for many Christians. On the other hand, inward transformation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, describes the Holy Spirit at work in a Christian's life, infusing her with spiritual insight and power. God is at work in Christians to influence the world around us, and Christ is expressed through our actions, temperament, and daily living. So we concluded in our last study that becoming a Christian means transformation from the inside out. God's Spirit changes us by renewing our minds, and that transformation allows us to live holy lives. Today we continue on in Romans 12 to discover that what God is doing in this process is no less than character transformation. Paul teaches us some specific character traits that come with the spiritual transformation described in verses 1 and 2. God is the one who makes these changes, and they are no less than spiritual miracles. For the purpose of this series and our studies, we're going to call these changes the marks of Jesus. I've chosen that phrase remembering a chorus we sang when I was a boy in our church. The words were, I would that others might see the marks of Jesus in me, for they will not believe if they do not perceive the marks of Jesus in me. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus is now the center of my life and I'm seeking him above all else and being led by the Holy Spirit, shouldn't people be able to see the difference? To see Jesus' marks on my life? The answer of Paul and the other New Testament writers 
is an overwhelming yes. These changes help bring about the Christ-like character which God desires for all followers of Jesus. The holiness of heart and mind taught in verses 1 and 2 bring these marks of Jesus into being through God's power working in us. As God transforms us, we grow spiritually in ways that we could not experience by ourselves. The transformation is divine, not human. These character traits, marks of Jesus, are grown by the Holy Spirit and demonstrates Christ in us. At this point, let me note a couple of important truths. First, these character traits are not optional if we're serious about seeking God with all our heart and mind and strength. Two, nor are these marks of Jesus reserved only for some Christians. They are found in every spirit-filled believer. They cause others to recognize the presence of Christ in our lives. And three, these are not personality traits. God will use your personality and mine and every other believer's for his purposes. I believe he delights in the uniqueness of our personalities and how he made us. No, these are character issues. The New Testament teaches that Christians are recognized by their character, not by their credentials, not by their competency, not by their charisma, but by their character. One of my favorite stories is told by Joseph Korbel, a Salvation Army officer who was serving in his native Czechoslovakia in 1940. He and his wife were living in Prague and had two children at that time. Their son, Helmuth, was three years old, and his sister, Olenka, was a baby. Here is how he tells the story in his book, When the Gates Were Opened. Once, when Olenka was only three months old and was peacefully sleeping in the bedroom on the Davenport, Helmuth slipped into the room to her without us knowing it. The sudden, unusual quietness alarmed us. I love that phrase. Parents will understand that. The sudden, unusual quietness alarmed us. What is the boy doing, said my wife, looking worriedly around. We both ran quickly through the apartment. There in the bedroom, we found our little son very busy. Kneeling by the Davenport, he was diligently pressing a rubber stamp on the face forehead, little hands, and legs of his baby sister. It was the stamp we used for the songbooks in our core, our church, saying, Property of the Salvation Army. Now that story makes us smile because it's so easy to imagine it in our minds. But what I will never forget is the way Brigadier Corbell explained its personal significance to his own Christian walk. We were in our very first uh, ministry appointment in Waycross, Georgia, and the Corbells were visiting, doing special meetings. When he told that story to our congregation, he said that whenever he recalls the incident, 
he reminds himself that property of the Lord Jesus Christ should be stamped all over his life. If anything is clear in the New Testament about Christians, it is that our lives should be different once we receive Jesus as our Savior. The old life is gone, and we are becoming new creations in Christ. In fact, Jesus said that men should see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We should not be indistinguishable and indescribable. That is why the teaching that God will transform our character is so important. Now let's return to our text in Romans 12. After calling upon Christians to be living sacrifices, Paul then describes two of these character traits that become aspects of lives that are holy and pleasing to God. Those two are humility and love. This lesson will introduce us to the first mark of Jesus, humility. Listen to verse 3. Paul gives his first specific instruction. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This is a command from Paul that is completely consistent with what God has taught his people since the beginning, to be humble before him. We think immediately of Micah 6.8, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Maybe you thought of 1 Peter 5.5, which is actually a quotation of Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, verse 3 is pointing us to our primary identity. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically. If we were ID'd by anyone, we simply should acknowledge that we are now in Christ. Here is the starting point for us as we seek to allow God to transform us. We need to have a consuming awareness of our salvation and our standing and our state in Christ. As Christians, we must see ourselves and our lives in a whole new way. Since accepting Christ, our world has been turned upside down. We have become new creations in Christ. We live and breathe and grow and measure all things by our identity in Christ. It is not my family, my nationality, my ethnicity that defines me. It's not my gender, my denomination, my job, my vocation that defines who I am. Those things are all important, but my primary identity is in Christ. Paul uses the term in Christ in verse 5, and it is clear that this is the content or the context of this extended practical teaching. Paul uses the term in Christ or in him or in the Lord 164 times in his New Testament letters. For Paul, the world is divided by those in Christ and everyone else. 
There may be nothing more important in practical Christian living than for believers to have a consuming awareness of our salvation. If the question is, who am I? The answer is, I am one who has been redeemed, delivered, forgiven, and am indwelt by Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is a self-awareness that is saturated with humility. That is the starting point for us as we allow God to transform us. Joseph Stoll, president of Moody Bible Institute, wrote a book called Following Christ, and he says, Humility is not a quiet, reserved, super-sanctimonious posture in life. The truly humble person can be appropriately bold and can enjoy life to its fullest, laughing and crying with great expression. Humility is the driving desire to give God the glory in all things and to obey Him regardless. Back to our text in humility. Paul speaks of it in that verse 3 in both negative and positive terms. First comes the negative. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. He begins there with a caution against the primary human temptation of pride. You see, the flip side, the opposite of humility, is pride. It is a deadly foe, perhaps Satan's most powerful tool. Many Christians struggle as they forget this mark of Jesus— walking humbly with your God. Paul then restates the command positively, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Literally, the word there uh, sounds like the word we use for logic, logikos, and it means with a sound mind. In other words, think of yourself honestly, accurately, and fairly. When you do that, you find yourself, as Joseph Stoll said, with a driving desire to give God the glory in all things. Now, perhaps it's surprising at first glance to some of you that the first character trait Paul mentions, the first mark of Jesus, is humility. Yet pride and arrogance are deadly to spiritual transformation. We must not neglect this important teaching. In fact, it is heartbreaking to see those who cling to their own identity with a pride that is misplaced and fail to embrace the power of being in Christ. All of our gifts and abilities, everything we have, everything we are, come from God and because of him. We certainly can't take the credit, but some folks don't allow God to transform them in this way, and they don't grow, can't grow, because of their denial. Here's just one illustration. Have you heard a Christian make a statement like this? Look, this is just who I am. You'll have to accept me like I am with my faults and shortcomings. Now, at first, that may seem like a reasonable, practical approach to one's relationships. 
But as I've experienced people who say that, more often than not, the person is actually suggesting that some unchristlike trait, maybe it's a temper or an insensitivity to people or saying whatever comes to their mind without any discipline, is out of their control. So everyone should just accept it. Dear friends, the message of Romans 12 is that when we become Christians, we opt for transformation. We want property of the Lord Jesus Christ to be stamped all over our lives. We open ourselves to have our character reformed in the image of Christ. We choose to allow God the Holy Spirit to change us. You will remember that Paul's issue with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 through 3 was that they were not growing or maturing in their faith. They were not being transformed. They were still babies in Christ. So the answer is no. We don't have to accept within ourselves or from other believers what is unchristlike or self-serving. Of course, we hold that standard by speaking in love and praying for each other. But remember, God accepts you where you are, but he will not leave you where you are. In Romans 6, Paul had made the theological case for being spiritually transformed. In 6, verse 22, he tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but rather we are now enslaved to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul could not be more straightforward than that. Holiness is the expected and anticipated outcome of our new life in Christ. Okay, I'd like to say a final word looking at the other five verses in our text in Romans 12. Having established before anything else the importance of our primary identity in Christ and the humility it brings to our lives, Paul then applies the teaching. If our primary identity is in Christ, he's going to tell us where our primary connection is now. Listen to verses 4 through 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, you may know that Paul teaches extensively in 1 Corinthians about this metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. He uses the same metaphor here very specifically in the context of humility among believers. There is a corresponding passage that is too appropriate for us to overlook. It's Philippians 2, the first four verses. 
He uses the same metaphor here very specifically in the context of humility among believers. It reminds me of a passage you also may remember that is worth looking at. Philippians 2, 1-4. Listen to Paul writing in this letter, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Karl Barth in his commentary on Romans simply says, you are not you apart from others. And he memorably calls these verses the fact of the community. Listen, friends, we all need to come to church with a huge dose of humility and awe of God. I think the most profound teaching Here is that statement, each member belongs to all the others. You and I must function with the other believers in the body of Christ in order to function at all. We'll say more about this communal aspect of holiness in future lessons. But our text today says to us, use your gift. Everyone needs you, and you need everyone. You have a part to play. You have a role to fulfill. You do not stand alone. You are not the key to it all. Get involved in church, in the body of Christ, humbly, wholeheartedly, responsively. And let the humility of one who knows that their primary identity is that they are in Christ shine to the world as a mark of Jesus on your life. May God bless you until next time when we will study the power of heavenly love, agape love, as a mark of Jesus. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.